Hello, everyone, and welcome to the finale of the first story arc for the Avatar The Last Airbender comics. This is Avatar the Podcast. I am so excited to not only be discussing the events of The Promise Part 3, but also next time to dig into the search, which I think oh is my God. what Acorn and I were kind of hoping The Promise was about, but it wasn't. Yep. But it's fine. We're here. We've learned so much about the world of Avatar over the past two episodes, and we'll learn a bit more in this episode. And it's just, again, we've said this so many times before, like we're breathing fresh air here. We're learning new mm-hmm. things. The world is expanding. Oh, I can't wait. Let's stop stalling. I'm Booster Greg. <laughs> That's Acorn Bandit. Welcome to Avatar the Podcast. Hello. Wow. What a great intro. I just like got into my own hype so much. I can't wait. All right, let's go. We have a bunch of five-star reviews to read, and we're back at the U.S. side of Apple Podcasts. So we're going to start off with Magic Dragon 17, and they write, fave podcast of all time. This is my favorite podcast of all time. I absolutely love Avatar The Last Airbender, and I am such a fan of your silly and sometimes serious commentary. I have taken multiple What's Your Bending Element quizzes, and on almost all of them, I've been Fire Nation, so I love how you guys don't hate on the Fire Nation, just because a (laughs) lot of them are shown in a bad light. My MVP for most episodes is either Uncle Iroh, it absolutely broke my heart when in that episode where it's split up between little side stories, he sang Leaves from the Vine. I think we all just cry, even at the thought of it, so you're not alone, friend. (laughs) Yep. Prince Zuko or the Cabbage Merchant. My cabbages! laughing hysterically on the side face. Mm -hmm. I really hope you read this on your show, Olivia. Well, thank you, Olivia. Well, guess what, Olivia? Hello. We read your review. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's great. I agree with all the things that you said. And I think that that's something I'm proud of, of our show as well, is we're not like anti-Fire Nation, which I think it's very easy to kind of get swept up in that. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad Olivia picked up on that. That's awesome. Yeah. Our next review comes from, this is going to be tough, a cat emoji, taco emoji, and then a pencil emoji. (laughs) I don't know what that is. (laughs) Cat taco pencil. Yeah. Cat taco pencil writes, amazing. The show is not watered down like the others. Mm. The hosts are down to earth. Mm. The episodes are fire. Mm. And the whole thing is light and airy. Mm. Those are all puns if you weren't paying attention. That's why I was making the sound, everyone. (laughs) hope Iroh gets Zuko to try his cake oh I appreciate all the puns on this one I feel like we've been getting a lot more punny reviews lately I'm so happy that the listeners have embraced Angmazing I know we did it we did it time for Toph Tears time in the light yep the next review coming up is from Secret Sea Bear and they write my appa to my Ang Angmazing love this with three no Four exclamation marks. Having listened to this before watching the actual show, I found it an incredibly entertaining way to watch the series in a screen-free way that expresses some personal feelings. I dream of being a bender myself and am continually feeling disappointed finding that I cannot bend. You and me both, let me tell you. Avatar The Last Airbender is my forever favorite show and Avatar The Podcast is the appa to my ang now. Oh. Oh, that's Aww. so sweet. That's very sweet. Thank you so much. 
It makes me so happy to hear our listeners talking about how they listen to our podcast, whether it's at the gym or before bed or at work or just wherever. I I love hearing the how it's a nice alternative to watching the actual show. And it's kind of like watching the show in your brain, air quotes. Yeah. I never considered that when we started the show. Yeah, me neither. But a lot of people seem to be consuming the podcast, let's say. I think it's the official term, right? Consuming Mm -hmm. the content. Uh, in that way. And it's it's like an honor. Like, I feel really proud of that. It makes yeah, me happy. me too. Yeah. Our next review comes from the Avatar Nerd, who writes, I love this. Hi, I love your podcast. It was just what I was looking for. You two really do your research for the show. And for my favorite character, I have to agree with Acorn. Katara is also my favorite, with Iroh in a close second. I love your podcast. Keep up with the great work. P.S. This is my first time listening to a podcast. And that too, we've had so many first time podcast listeners, which is like the best honor. I know. I can't believe that for whatever reason, someone was like, oh, I don't listen to podcasts, but this, this thing right here, (laughs) this one, I'm starting with this and they've left your five star review and they continue to listen. It's just like, it warms my little heart so much. Yeah. The next five star review comes from. Perido and Perido writes, incredible podcast. That's another good one. Ang- That's a incredible. good one. I cannot, cannot stress how much I enjoy listening to this podcast almost as much as I do watching the actual show. That's a huge compliment right there. Wow. Oh, yeah. Top five characters Toth, Iroh, Azula, Suki, the cabbage merchant. <laughs> the cabbage merchant. We don't see him very much in the top fives. I know. He, he sneaks his way in there every once in a while, and I appreciate it. It's a great top five. Thank you so much, Perido, for leaving that five-star review. Our next review comes from HKBJHGJ. Or as I like to call them, Hekabajagaja. <laughs> Perfect. Yep. Nailed it. Who writes, yes, this podcast is amazing. I love this and I think you are so funny and it's very entertaining. And this is probably the best Avatar podcast ever. And while I've only heard Braving the Elements and this, I do think that this is better. And then a ton of emojis, most of which are representing the different elements. So thank you. Oh my gosh. Thank you. My dear friend, Hank. Yes. We appreciate (laughs) Close friend of the podcast. Close friend of the podcast. That's how you pronounce their name. It's uh, definitely not me just saying random sounds. Mm -mm. Definitely not. Not even a little bit. Perfect pronunciation. Yep. And remember, if you want to have your five-star review read right here on the show, you just got to do me one quick favor. Just got to write it. Mm Mm-hmm. Write those words. Write them. So we can do what, Greg? So we can read them. (laughs) Because that's how the written language works. (laughs) That's right. If you don't write it, we can't read it. Okay, enough silliness. Thank you, everyone, so much for the heartfelt words. Acorn and I super appreciate everything you write. All of the emojis, all of the top fives, literally everything that you write to us. We see it. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Now, without any further stalling, let's wrap up the promise with the promise part three, or as we like to call it, Aang's other big decision. That's right. This chapter was written by Jean Luen Yang with art and coloring by Guri Hiru and lettering by Michael Heisler and was published by Dark Horse Comics. The battle rages on as Aang and Fire Lord Zuko stand on a cliff, watching as a storm covers the battlefield. The spirits of Roku and Ozai stand behind the two friends, each spouting their own ideals and beliefs on the current situation, neither of which are helpful to the Avatar or the Fire Lord. 
Zuko admits that all he can hear is the voice of his father in his head and kind of blames Aang for not killing his father during the events of this series finale. Aang apologizes and Zuko instructs Aang to fulfill the promise. The Avatar takes a moment and then enters the Avatar state and rises above the Fire Lord. Zuko's eyes widen as he sees a vision of his mother hiding behind Avatar Roku. The Fire Lord reaches out and tells her not to cry, but is interrupted by Aang's elemental attack. Both of the boys wake up immediately, realizing that these events were nothing but a nightmare. The next day, Aang and Katara reach Yudao, where the Avatar tries to warn the local citizens to evacuate the city. He isn't exactly met with the warmest of welcomes as Aang finds himself almost immediately on the defense from earthbending attacks, firebending attacks, and someone kind of throwing axes at him. (laughs) Katara spots the axe thrower on on a nearby roof, and they decide to chase after him into an axe factory. Of course. Of course. More axes are sent hurtling towards Aang, who is able to dodge all of them and responds with an air blast towards the assailant, who turns out to be none other than Sneers. Shocking. Also, yeah, that moment when Aang comes through the window and is like, oh, an axe factory? Why'd it have to be an axe factory? I don't know if it was just me, but I got some Indiana Jones vibes from that. Yeah. (laughs) Didn't even put two and two together. But now that you say that, absolutely. 100%. It's just that classic, like, why does it have to be snakes kind of yep. kind of like response? It was so good. This book got me more Avatar vibes than the previous parts so far. Mm-hmm. Me too. Just the the moral of it all, the the comedy, everything, the action. It was just so good. Yeah. Aang, who finds himself in front of Sneers, who is throwing axes at him for some reason, is understandably confused by the attack and demands answers. Corey then walks in to save her boyfriend and tells the Avatar and his sweetie, they didn't say sweetie much in this, so I'm going to pepper it in here for everyone in case you (laughs) missed it, that they will not be forced out of their homes and they will not be leaving this city. Aang pleads with Corey, but she won't listen. Sneers admits that while he was helping out Smellerby outside of the gates with the protesting, his heart wasn't really in it. He grew up hating the Fire Nation for what they did to his parents. But when Jet, Smellerby, and Longshot went to Ba Sing Se, Sneers came to Yu Dao to live with his uncle. Sneers found himself falling in love with Corey, and Aang is very surprised that the two are a couple, which is something <laughs> we'll see quite a few. We'll, we'll see this mirrored through other characters, let's say. The running gag of the yeah. comic. I don't really like the running gag. I don't either. It's very 2012, which I think is when this came out. It's very like early 2010s. This this kind yep. of comedy where it's like, you? But you're so... And she's you so... You and you? Yeah. She's an eight and you're a five or whatever. Yeah. Very early 2000s. But you're like the Kevin James. And she's like... I don't know. Uh-huh. Not Kevin James. She's like Natalie Portman. So yeah. we, I'm, I'm going to stop lingering on it because I'm going to point out the jokes again and they'll come back. But I just wanted on the record that not the best look for the book on this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we learn a few of the motivations for joining the resistance from other members of the group. And one of them includes very good Moochie, which I thought was pretty funny. Mochi. It was like, I'm here because my father, my grandfather, the Moochie. I really like the Moochie here. And Ang was like, <laughs> really? And he's like, but it's really good, Moochie. You don't understand. Uh-huh. Mochi is really good, actually. If I've never if, had it. Oh, it's, it's really good. Yeah. One of these um, days. There's two kinds. 
Yeah. Just for the record, there's two kinds. There's the regular kind and then there's the ice cream kind. Both are good. Well, what is it? Because I don't know what it is. It is a sweet bean paste covered in like a gelatinous like dough. So it's very soft and pillowy and it has a sweet center. And usually it's dusted with like, I don't know what the powder is. It's either powdered sugar or cornstarch or something like that. But they're just little soft pillows of goodness. They're delicious. Sounds like pastry-ish kind of. Yeah, it is pastry-ish. Okay. All right. Well, one day I'll have it and I'll let everyone know when I do and what I think. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Sneers proclaims that he is fighting alongside the Yudao resistance and acknowledges that this makes him look like a traitor. He then drops an interesting take on the battle. The resistance aims to keep both the Fire Nation and the Earth Kingdom out of Yudao because Yudao is neither. You mean because Yudao is both, Corey says immediately after. And this will get mirrored again later on in this issue. But I think this is very interesting where Sneers has this one take where he's like, well, yeah, Yudao is not Fire Nation or Earth Kingdom. But Corey is corrects him almost. And in her mind, it's both. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. Like, I'm not sure. In my mind, I think I was with sneers. I was like, yeah, it's, it's neither. It's this new thing. But you could also say, well, it's both. It's this new thing. It's, yeah. it's very like glass half full kind of thing. Yeah. And it actually mirrors the conflict that we're going to see play out through the rest of the comic where people have different perspectives of the situation and what to do about it. So that's just a very basic example of basically two perspectives of the same thing. We're both. No, we're neither. One is both. One is neither. And together they are you (laughs) Dow. Yep. Uh, Okay. So Corey tells Aang to let the protesters come. They can handle Smellerby and a few townsfolk. However, when Aang tells her that the Earth Kingdom is sending an army to the city, they become quite a bit less confident. They ask Aang to join their side, but Aang is still keeping to his word with the Earth King. Katara suggests hearing the resistance out, but Cory won't stick around for him to change his mind and points out that if the Avatar won't help them, maybe someone in his fan club will. And I think her exact line is, maybe one of those other Avatars will. And Aang turns around and sees just like a boatload of airbenders standing behind him. Yeah, which was shocking (laughs) for me to see. I was like, wait, what? Did you notice that while these airbenders, quote unquote, have the head tattoo, they don't have the hand tattoos. They don't have the arrows on their hands. I didn't immediately, but that's a great detail to pick up. Interesting. Interesting. Well, anyways, this is the Yu Dao chapter of the Avatar Aang fan club. And if anyone is wondering, yes, Katara is not exactly thrilled to see them. <laughs> Just let you all know. And if anyone's wondering, no, they're not all co-presidents. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. He's like, are you all co-presidents? <laughs> like, no, that's stupid. Why would you all be co-presidents? <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, the key differences from the Ba Sing Se chapter are, of course, they all have authentic looking clothes and markings to the Western Air Temple students. The welcome nostalgia that Aang is feeling does quickly fade, however, when Aang learns that the blue arrow that they are all sporting isn't paint as he initially thought. He thought it was like face paint or something. They're actually tattoos using the same ink that the Air Nomads used so many years ago. The president, the only president, Zheng Ying, assures Aang that the members who receive their tattoos go through the most rigorous of study programs to respect the ways of the Air Nomad. But Aang is horrified and feels that his culture has been immensely disrespected. 
Aang storms out of the building and doubles down on the separation of the four nations in order to maintain balance. Maybe mm. they'll listen, maybe they won't. Either way, the Fire Nation colonials have to go. It's time we separate the nations and restore harmony, Aang says as he takes off to the main gate to meet up with General Howe and his forces. No oh boy. So I actually learned that this portion, Aang getting offended by the fan club's use of his airbending arrows, it was developed during a time when there was apparently some racial controversy in the news around offensive Halloween costumes. I tried to go find the news article from that time. I think it was like 2011 or so, but I mm-hmm. couldn't find anything very like particular to sure. this, this situation. But I like that they included it in the comic because especially nowadays, appropriation is this huge topic that we talk about because everyone's trying to figure out how to be PC, how to respect everybody, what's okay, what's not okay. And while we're currently in a growing pains period, I think that eventually we'll probably get to a place where we can all, for the most part, agree. Yeah. But I think this illustrates a really great contrast where the fan club had every positive intention. They were going into this with respect to the culture. They wanted to be a part of it. They were honoring it in these different ways. But it comes across as appropriation because the person whose culture it is wasn't involved in it. And he's like, wait, you just borrowed everything from my culture and just like modified it for your own purposes. That's not okay. Yeah. And they also missed very important things about it too, right? Like, yeah, they didn't do the full tattoo, for example. They just did the head one because that's the more more prominent one that you would see. Yeah. And it was like, you know, we studied the airbending forms, even though we're not airbenders. We tried to learn all the different things about the philosophy. But I think what it comes down to is something I've seen time and again. I'm going to go into this topic a little bit more before we move on because I think it's important. Yeah, absolutely. In the comic, Aang was saying, for you to treat our tattoos like a part of some costume, my culture isn't a game. That's how it's coming across to him. And I think that's where a lot of the issues come up. And of course, I'm talking about this as a Caucasian myself. So, you know, take this with a grain of salt because I'm also talking from my own personal experiences. But mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of the the issue, the conflict come up with the way people take customs, clothing or culture and they just use it. There's no respectful engagement. Like there's a difference between wearing something that belongs to another culture and like wearing the clothing of that people while they're in the region. Like if you're in another country and you're invited to, or if you're participating in the customs as a sign of respect alongside them, or if you're like in a social group that that is a part of that, or even just giving respectful recognition in ways that don't offend, like, because the people whose culture it is are clued into it. They're like, yeah, that's okay. So it's such an interesting topic because I think a lot of people have good intentions But it's also a line that can be very easily crossed if the people whose culture it belongs to are like aren't a part of the situation. Yeah. Obviously, what jumps out to me is the live action Avatar movie. I mean, that's the biggest. (laughs) (laughs) That's the biggest connection here. Yeah. Yeah. We're just going to take this culturally diverse television show and appropriate everything about it. Mm hmm the worlds that it's coming from. We're just going to pick and choose what we want to include and then whitewash the rest of it. Like, holy crap. So disrespectful. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, I was reading this and that really jumped out to me. And it's almost as if this is kind of like Bryke's way of acknowledging the movie without actually acknowledging the movie a bit. Like this is obviously much bigger than the last airbender and the commercial flop and critical flop and the overall flop that it was. But based on the interviews that we've read in the past about Bryke, they seem to like 
not be able to let go of things very easily. So for me, this mm-hmm. is a slight nod to that, but also them dealing with a much larger topic for the series. Yeah, we don't know for sure. But at the same time, that movie came out in 2010 and this comic came out in like 2011, 2012. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's possible. It's possible. I don't know. We'll leave that. We'll put that on the back burner. And we join Zuko as he is meditating on his ship and has a conversation with the portrait of his uncle Iroh. While Zuko feels that his intentions are justified in that he is protecting not only the people of Yudao, but also their relationships with one another. Zuko is worried that his actions are exactly what his father would do and questions if his call to battle is right or wrong. He wonders if it matters that his reasons are different and if it all just looks the same from the outside. He touches the painting of Iroh and wishes that his uncle were here with them and notes how much he misses him. Well, guess what, Zuko? You could have him with you if you just went and got him. (laughs) I know. Every time, like in this scene specifically, I was so worried that Iroh was dead and his death was like off camera. Oh, oh my God. No. <laughs> I was like, did he die? Did I miss what? That would be unforgivable. Yeah, but he's not dead, everyone. Don't worry. Zuko, he respects his uncle so much. He feels like this is a burden that he doesn't want to impart onto his uncle. Mm-hmm. He's like, this is my burden. I have to deal with this. My uncle's done so much for me. I have to move on. I have to figure this out on my own. And by on my own, I mean with the advice of my crazy father who is locked in prison. (laughs) Yep. A soldier enters Zuko's chambers to announce that the ship has arrived at the Earth Kingdom and Zuko readies himself. Katara finds Aang meditating on a roof in Yudao. When she asks if he's okay, he sighs and admits that his head hurts. He tells Katara that he has figured out why the four nations have to remain separate. The power imbalance means that the stronger nation will always hurt the weaker nation in some way, shape, or form. This can be through conquest and war, like with the Fire Nation and the Earth Kingdom, or, as we're learning, through appropriation, like with the Air Nomad Fan Club. Katara reminds Aang of the words of Guru Patik, and if everyone forgot about him, don't worry, we didn't. Hugh, remember Hugh? Remember mm-hmm. Swamp Man Hugh? I love him. <laughs> and they both had, I didn't even realize they both told him the same thing until I was reading this book. They both kind of told him that separation is an illusion and that the four nations are really all one and the same. Ang yells that he doesn't want them to be the same and explains that he loves the culture of his people as everything about it makes the air nomads different from everyone else. As the last air nomad, he has to do everything he can to preserve it. He has to restore the separation of the nations, even if it means fulfilling his promise to Zuko. Katara points out that this promise goes against the air nomad philosophy, which is what he is trying to preserve. Aang holds his head and tells Katara this is exactly why his head hurts. Oh, poor Aang. Mm -hmm. This is such a good conversation. Yes. The contradiction of separation being an illusion and that the four nations are really one and the same, and yet they're also distinctly different and can collide and clash and destroy each other if not balanced. Oh my God. And then on top of it all, Aang going through the Harmony Restoration Movement could once again go against his air nomad philosophy. So it's like, it's such a tough position to be in. And so that kind of conflict is so interesting because you can see both sides of the argument. And yeah. of course, you're sitting there going, okay, so what's the answer? And like, spoiler, it's the third one. The third <laughs> answer that we don't see, but yeah, you know, we'll yeah, get yeah. there. 
I also love the the perspective of Aang being faced with this impossible task of preserving his culture alone and the weight of that and how it eventually becomes an opportunity that we're going to see at the end. For sure. It's, it's almost like a pattern with Aang where he's caught between a rock and a hard place, but he always finds the way out that kind of like isn't perfect for everyone, but it's not terrible for everyone. It's like the good yeah. compromise. He's the compromising avatar. That's, that's what he is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's leave the compromising avatar on the roof with his sweetie because we're traveling back to Beifang Metal Bending Academy where Sokka is still waiting for Aang and Katara to pick him up. He's actually kind of like, he's kind of sad. He's just like, they forgot about me. They're probably like, he cannot like get over the oogies. And he like, he does this thing where he semi jokes about this, but he's dead serious. Like he's very, very sad that they've seemingly forgotten about poor old Sokka. His tone does change, however, when Suki arrives in a Fire Nation war balloon. The two make out for a bit, giving Toph the Oogies, and Suki (laughs) then explains that she knew where to find them because Master Kanyo, remember him? Mr. Rap Spearhead over there? Yep. He lodged an official complaint about a dirt girl and a snow savage taking over his school, and she received the complaint because... She's one of Zuko's guards, along with the other Kyoshi warriors, as we know. Suki tells the two that they are needed, and they take off on the war balloon. Toph doesn't entirely forget about her students, if anyone was worried about that. And she yells at them to get practicing, as she's basically one foot, actually, literally one foot out the door. (laughs) Penko wants to go with the group, and her secret crush, that's not so secret, and even shows off the fact that she can spin a Fire Nation helmet using metal bending. Toph is less than impressed and tells the girl to go do her forms. The Dark One has reached his Edgar Allan Poe stage of being (laughs) a goth emo and proclaims that the despair he feels from the abandonment is unbearable and he just kind of goes on. This is not my favorite look for the Dark One. I'm just going to go on record and say that. Penga also liked him better when he just hated people. As Suki, Toph, and Sokka approach Yudao, Suki shows her friends the two armies marching towards the city, revealing to them the reason they have gathered. So she gets them pretty much caught up to speed. Yeah. All right. So here's a note on the Dark One. This made (laughs) me laugh when I found this out. So the Dark One was becoming uncomfortably similar to May by the end of part two. Oh my God, you're right. So to remedy this... Yang has the Dark One take a position that is, quote unquote, all his own while keeping with his goth nature, which is the bad poetry focus. Ah, he found the cure. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the double, yes, double I meaning there. So. For everyone. That was good. <laughs> also, did you notice the flying boar metal creation yeah. that Toffin, yeah, Toffin Sokka made? It's by the door of the Metal Bending Academy. It's their mascot now. Yeah. I love it. So fun thing about that is there's a mythic animal in Chinese legend that's often portrayed in statue form in front of houses and buildings, which provides a mystic protection to all who live under the building's roofs. It's called a Keelin or a Kylin or however you pronounce that. I'm sorry. It's K-Y-L-I-N. And by placing the metallic flying boar in front of her academy, Toph has essentially erected a Keelin of her own. I like that. It is also responsible recycling. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Returning to you, Dao, Katara tries to tell Aang why she has changed her mind about the Harmony Restoration Movement, but is interrupted by Smellerby and the protesters. Aang asks Smellerby for a little more time, 
but the plea is ignored and Smellerby calls out to the mob to attack with a stone battering ram. Aang and Katara fight back and are able to destroy the battering ram, but Smellerby is one step ahead and tells the Avatar that the battering ram was the distraction and the real attack is revealed to be a metal drill that makes its way through the Yudao walls. It's like a little mini drill from the series mm-hmm. is what it yep. looked like to me. Rejoining the other half of Team Avatar, Sokka gladly accepts the burden of being the quote-unquote idea guy and devises a plan to sneak themselves into one of the Fire Nation's Tundra tanks. Unfortunately for Sokka, Toph is definitely on a slide kick and she uses the opportunity to create an underground slide. Sokka definitely, if anyone's wondering, he definitely does not let out a scream that Toph calls girlish mm-hmm. and then he definitely doesn't blame it on suki <laughs> uh-huh. if anyone's wondering so they're underground but they don't have to wait super long fortunately for a tundra tank to drive over them toff's fists bust out of the earth like a freaking terminator and rips a hole in the bottom of the tank the group has acquired their ride into battle same energy like terminator I style yeah oh, i heard it i heard the do 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 when she was doing that <laughs> it was so cool so there's one one uh, hiccup going on, though. Mm-hmm. Sokka hasn't figured out the next step of the plan yet. Ooh, idea guy. Step one. What are you doing? Get on a Tundra tank. Step two, profit? Question mark? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so while Toph and Sokka bicker about the lack of a next phase in the plan, Suki notes how lonely Zuko seems on the horizon. Toph thinks that screwy in the head is a better way to put it, which sparks Sokka's brain. Phase two will be to have Toph metal bend all of the screws out of the Fire Nation Tundra tanks. When we rejoin the gang at Yudao, Sneers meets his friends, aka head of the protesters, and introduces them to his girlfriend, Corey. After some tension and some more remarks about Corey being out of Sneer's league. Yep, we got the bit again. Thank you very much. Again, Sneer's reiterates that Yudao is neither Earth Kingdom nor Fire Nation. And Corey wonders if it's both. So again, that kind of like conflicting, but the same kind of train of thought. Yep. A protester interrupts the conversation by wreaking havoc on the town, which stops any hope that Aang has for a peaceful de-escalation of the situation. The Avatar then attempts to separate the fighting, telling Smellerby that he is on her side and also wants the Colonials to leave just peacefully. Aang is too late because as he mutters the words, Earth King Kuei's army arrives. The Avatar Aang fan club shows up as well, humbly bowing before the Air Nomad. They wear a headband over their arrow tattoo this time and beg for his forgiveness regarding their ignorance. Aang asks them to go home because he's already got too much to deal with, but the fan club tells him that's why they're here, to help him in his fight. General Howe reads a declaration from the Earth King, and Katara yells up to Kuei's balloon and yells for him to read his own decrees. Kuei, of course, declines the invitation, stating that Howe is doing just fine on his own. I don't need to go down there. It's not scary down there. I just don't want to go down there. My God. Yeah. Continuing our conversation about Kuei from the last book. Yeah. My opinion of him has been kind of tanking. I don't like him. I used to really like him and I don't like him anymore. Yeah. This book has just not done a great job. I wonder if they just needed an excuse to like have this whole situation happen. So they just like, it was either, I guess, him or Boomy. 
So they're like, all right, get Kuei in there. We don't really have much mm-hmm. of a personality for him other than being an idiot anyways. Yeah, it was probably intentional and it's fine. You know, he can be an unlikable character, but it's just like you left to travel the world yeah. with your pet bear yeah. and you came back and this is how much you learned. Okay. Yeah. And much later during a revelation, I got really angry and we'll, we'll talk about that when it hits. And I think you know what I'm talking yeah. about. <laughs> yeah. Okay. With neither side backing down, the Fire Nation and the Earth Kingdom surround Team Avatar and the Avatar Ang fan club. A single tank rolls up to the group and the fan club steps up, telling Ang to stay back as they will protect him. Ang airbends them out of the way and tells them to leave. Fortunately, Toph jumps out of that tank and Sokka kind of like peeks out from the, I don't know what we call it, like the cockpit kind of thing, the little like hatch, mm-hmm. peeks out. Toph asks why Aang has seemingly changed sides, but before he can answer, General Howe implores Aang to kill the Fire Lord as it would leave the Fire Nation army devoid of any leadership and would leave them pretty much useless. He says something like, cut off the head of the dragon so they can't talk, but he says it more poetically, or they can't fight back. Yeah, an army with no leader is a dragon with no head. There it is. Absolutely. Also, this battle... Very intense. We're gearing up for it. But there's this one page, that two-page spread, actually, where we see a top-down perspective of the land just in front of Yudao with the Fire Nation on one side and the Earth Kingdom on the other side and then Aang and his friends in the middle. So that was actually specifically illustrated based on Japanese battle prints from the 1800s, which oh. was a direction that Yang gave to Gudihiru specifically. Also, side note, Gudihiru was really pleased to work on The Promise Part 3 because it gave them their first opportunity to draw rain in a comic, which was the first couple pages, which I thought was really sweet. I didn't even realize there was no rain in the other two parts. That's why it was most, so much more dramatic. There's some like subconscious part of me is like, wow, this is really dramatic in this intro all of a sudden. Yeah. And that's why. Nothing like a storm during a battle sequence to yeah. like really make it dramatic. And the symbolism of the storm because Aang and Zuko, both turning points in their lives, there's always a storm present. Mm-hmm. There was also a note specifically about that, how it was a focus on how all four elements are in chaos in that moment. Because mm. it was fire versus earth with the rain and mm-hmm. the wind. Yes. That's awesome. So General Howe is yelling at Aang to kill Zuko. Aang cannot bring himself to do this and argues with the general. Sokka's plan is then put into motion and Toph dismantles all of their tanks by, well, you know, you know, with their screwy plan. There you go. There's a nice pun <laughs> for you. Leaving the warriors on foot to charge into war. Just the line delivery at that moment where Katara is like, if you guys were so busy slowing down the Fire Nation, how is it that they showed up here and, and Top is like, keep your eyes on me, Sugar Queen. <laughs> keep your eyes on me. And then she does this like Hulk leap off of the Tundra tank mm-hmm. and hits the ground. And at that moment, all of the screws pop out of the tires. It was a great it's sequence. Ve- it's very impressive. I love Toph in this arc. And spoilers, we're not going to get a lot of her in the next arc. So yeah. soak it up while you can. So Aang enters the Avatar state and is angry at Zuko for not following through with the movement and changing his mind, seemingly when it was all going to end. Before he can do anything, however, Katara grabs him and slides away on an ice slide with her water bending. This snaps him out of the Avatar state and Aang comments how all these people are going to get themselves killed. Katara brings them to the top of the city's walls and finally tells Aang her true worry about the Harmony Restoration Movement. She tells Aang that when she saw Cory and her parents, 
She also saw her and Aang's own future as an air nomad and water tribe hybrid family. She asks Aang to find a quiet place and to make a decision. Katara tells the Avatar that she will support whatever decision he makes, even if that means they cannot be together. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Cue the acorn waterworks. I lost it at that part yeah. scene. I mean, also keep in mind, like I've watched the original series so many times. We've been doing this podcast for over a year. Yep. We've been focusing so much on the first three books of the animated series mm-hmm. that just seeing one panel in a comic with Katara and Aang as adults holding a baby, like I I couldn't handle it. I'm like, I, I want to see that so bad. I'm so excited to like have them grow up and be together and make a family and and do all this really crazy stuff. And, and Korra, like, I can't I wait. <laughs> you know? Yeah, we've been so living in the present with Team Avatar to even get like a single panel of what their future might be, which we know is what it's going to be, was very like, I just want to get there. I want to skip all this, but I don't, but I do, but I don't, but I do. Yeah. I want to get there. It was also heartbreaking because I I don't know about you, but I forgot that the Harmony Restoration Movement would apply to them too. She's a waterbender. He's an airbender. Like, I feel like as a leader, you would have to abide by your own rules to set a good example. So that's where I think Katara is coming from, where it's like, listen, I saw our future in the Mm -hmm. situation and I realized like this is going to impact us too, which, okay, we can go along with it because I want what's best for everyone. But like, just a reminder, it made my heart break a little bit. For me, I kind of, it's not like the opposite reaction, but I had this reaction of like, well, if you want Aang to sway a certain way, Threaten to take Katara away from him. <laughs> I mean, that's effective too. You need him to act. Tell him he can't have his girlfriend anymore and uh-huh. he will act. <laughs> and that's exactly what he does. Tangentially to that comment, like once again, in this like little scene here, Katara is once again the heart of the story. Yeah. And the reason behind Aang not making big mistakes, just like I flash back to the storm episode where she followed him to the cave and like had that conversation about his past and his identity and like dealing with the shame and all of this stuff. Like she turned the tide in that scene for the better, for the future. And here again, she like took him out of the avatar state, said, Aang, calm down, think about this, make a rational decision. Mm-hmm. I will give you space and time and support. Go do it. Like, thank you, Katara. Yeah. Queen. Absolutely. So they share a kiss and Aang flies off into the mountains and Earth bends a small hut around him. I'm calling it a hut. He just Earth bends a whole bunch of rocks around him, making like a dome. <laughs> Toph style. I found this very interesting. I was thinking about that because Toph does the tent. She does like a very like aggressive tent. And mm-hmm. for me, even though this wasn't animated, it felt a little less aggressive and a little more subtle, which I thought was very interesting based off of like Aang and Toph's personality. Yeah. So the structure of it is different and very much their personality. But I liked the concept of Aang needs space. Yeah. He's going to pull a Toph and make like yes. a rock house for himself. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so it's kind of like a rock igloo, for lack of a better term. It is. Yeah. Yeah. He takes out his prayer beads and he holds the emblem that has a Fire Nation symbol on it. And he summons Roku. Now, I don't remember him doing that in the animated series. He always just kind of summoned Roku. So this is a bit of retconning that's coming up here, just forewarning everyone. And real quick, before we get into the conversation with Roku, I do have a note about that kiss that happened just a moment before, like a couple panels before. Apparently, Yang had great expectations for the art for that kiss panel. Even writing in the script, this is an important moment. It has to be sweet and heartfelt and sad. 
And apparently he was extremely pleased with Go To Here's work because it conveyed all of that, which I agree. It was very good. Yeah, absolutely. Aang tells Roku about the dream that he had and Roku seems to know all about it. They then have the same conversation about Aang keeping his promise and allowing his air nomad ways to kind of fade away. And it's all very just reminiscent of the end of book three. And for me, I'm just going to say this. It feels like the spirit of Roku is a residual haunting of a ghost. He just says Mm -hmm. the same things all the time. And it's just like he's on this loop. And I got really annoyed with Roku at this point. I love Roku. But the fact that he's just like, yeah, just like make a decision. Make the decision that I couldn't make. Kill him. Yeah. So cold, which is kind of ironic because he's a firebender. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's a really interesting point to make. Roku did have a lot more complexity in the animated show. And I feel like this is a very simplified version of him. Yeah. Like, you're right. It's almost like a shift from a complex spirit of a once living avatar to the ghost of A once living avatar who, like you said, is kind of like on the same record, repeating themselves over and over, which it's a small critique. But yeah, I see it being there, too. I think it's just because we get so little of Roku that the fact that we see him more and it's just this this watered down version of him, as far as I can tell, I was just kind of disappointed. That's all. Again, you're right. Small critique based on the whole and all the subject matter that is being handled quite well in this book. Just these little things that that we nitpick out. So yeah, he gives he gives the same advice, right? He says, you know, you're the avatar, you're larger than your nation, your friends, your family, you have to give a duty to the world. Uh, Roku then looks down and tells Aang that Zuko is his descendant and that Ursa is his granddaughter. I forgot that Aang didn't know this. I know. I feel like we all just knew it and Aang just like didn't put two and two together on this. <laughs> uh-huh. Roku leaves Aang with the same advice that he always does. And your opponent while you have the time. Mm -hmm. Back with the rest of Team Avatar, Sokka tries to make sense of the whole situation. And Katara rejoins the group and tells them that Aang is trying to figure out what needs to be done next. Toph is confused as to why Aang needs to think about this, as it all seems pretty plain to her. Katara tells the group that she trusts Aang, and they all should as well, based off of everything they've been through together. The group decides to split up and stop everyone from killing each other. Sokka asks how he's supposed to get down from the wall and Toph, with a smile, earth bends him a slide. (laughs) Sokka is less than thrilled. (laughs) Sokka lands in between Sneers and Smellerby breaking up their fight. After failing to cite the wise words of the Aang fan club, Sokka learns that Corey is Sneers' girlfriend and does the bit. We all know the bit now. Are you dating her? But follows up with a didn't know you had it in you, big guy. Just a cringy, cringy joke. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. As the battle wages on, Toph is running out of steam and finds herself in need of a break from all of her metal bending. More guards charge at Toph and Suki when all of a sudden their helmets spin wildly on their heads. Toph's students have arrived to help give Sifu Toph a much needed break. With helmets spinning and metal coins flying on the battlefield, the Dark One finds a moment to recite terrible poetry. <laughs> While not appreciating the poem, Toph is glad to see her students and confesses that the helmet spinning is way more impressive up close. Katara notices the Earth King's airship flying overhead and ice bends her way up. There she sees Kue in the corner of the ship with his knees pressed against his chest. He's kind of having like a panic attack at this point. He confesses that he just wanted to prove to his troops that he's finally brave enough to lead them into battle 
or at least co-lead them into battle. But now he just wishes that Bosco was with him. Katara learns that Kuei had never been to Yudao before. How? How have you not been to this city before? You were traveling for a year in the Earth Kingdom. <laughs> so I'm sorry. That's my nitpickiness. But hearing this, Katara gets an idea. She is going to show Kue the people of Yudao so he can meet them and he can see the repercussions that his decisions are going to have or have had. Kue notes that it's not safe down there and Katara agrees. But the two slide out of the airship. He's like, it's not safe down there. And Katara's like, yep. And it's all your fault. Come on, pal. Let's go meet some folks. Yeah. On the battlefield, General Howe approaches the rebels and orders them to surrender. Corey refuses and tries to attack Howe directly, but he is able to smash her earthbending weapon and orders his men to attack the group. A giant fire blast separates the two forces and Zuko orders Howe to withdraw his troops. Howe refuses, telling Zuko that he does not have any authority here and attacks. Aang leaves his confinement while in the Avatar state and rushes towards Zuko. Zuko acknowledges that he knows this looks bad, but it's not how it looks. He takes off his helmet and sighs. He acknowledges that it doesn't matter anymore, and that he is doing exactly what his father would have done. The earth splits, much as it did with Kyoshi and Chin the Conqueror, and Zuko falls, accepting his fate. Except Aang flies in after his friend and saves his life. We see that the earthbending was not meant to kill Zuko, but rather form a protective gap or moat around Yudao. Katara sees this and brings Kue into the city, where Aang asks the king to look at who he is fighting. Fire Nation, Earth Kingdom, Water Tribe, and Air Nomad. Aang tells the king that he's not just fighting a colony, he is fighting a new kind of world. The protesters yell at Kuei to stop listening, but Kuei looks at the citizens of Yudao and knows what must be done. Zuko looks at Aang, exhausted from the fight, and asks if he was right all along. Before Aang can answer, the Fire Lord collapses to the ground. My heart, Zuko. Mm-hmm. He's like, right? so I was right the whole was time. Was I the good guy all along? <laughs> and you were yes. the villain, Aang? <laughs> he doesn't say that, but still. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a very, very like rewarding scene for me. And I'm not like super large Zuko fan. I can only imagine that anyone who reads this and loves Zuko as their favorite character would find this just so delicious for a character arc. Oh, yeah. It was very well done. And again, I've said it once and I'll say it a million times. In my opinion, Zuko's character arc from the main series, and now I'm going to group this into it, is some of the best character development that you're going to get in fiction. Oh, yeah. 100%. Best example ever. Mm -hmm. So day turns to night and Aang confronts Roku's spirit explaining that he spared Zuko's life against Roku's will because he cares about his friends and family. That's kind of a dig at Roku, dude, because I care about my friends and family. Unlike you, which it's kind of the opposite. But anyways, Roku wow. insists... Yeah, he got a little sassy there. Roku insists that Aang has put the world in danger by being indecisive, causing Aang to tell him that there is nothing more he can learn from Roku since the world has changed so much. With tears in his eyes, Aang breaks off the Fire Nation emblem from his prayer beads and burns it in his hands, cutting Roku off as his spiritual mentor. I can't tell if that was symbolic or literal. I think it's symbolic. I thought so too. Going back to what you were saying about how 
he's calling on Roku using the prayer beads and that's not how he's called on him in the past. Mm -hmm. It made me wonder if that has been a new form for Aang to focus on calling his past lives because at the finale of book three, he was able to talk to each past life in succession on the back of the lion turtle. So I almost wonder if like, I don't know, he just picked up using the beads as a way to focus and go like, no, I want to talk to Kiyoshi right now or I want to talk to Roku right now. But he also cries when he burns it. So I don't know. Is I'm it, on the it, fence. There's a big finality to it. I agree. Yeah. My first thought to what you're saying is if he's using this to like channel his past lives very specifically, show us that. Mm-hmm. Like my, I think one of my biggest complaints about this this arc anyways, the promise parts one, two, and three is they don't show us things that have changed. They just go, it changed in the year. Deal with it. Like you could very easily put a panel of like, Aang learned that if he concentrates on this emblem, then he will get Roku. Like it's easy to do that. Just throw it in mm-hmm. there as a side conversation. Like Sokka points out, oh, why is he using those beads? And Katara's like, well, you remember blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Know. There's a lot no, of we've just also, like, yeah. we've never seen these beads. Yeah. He has worn a necklace similar to this in the finale, but it had, That's I think, true. one emblem, one medallion. Yeah. So it's like, again, another, another little nitpicky thing. I go, I'm going back and forth in my brain right now on if this is literal or symbolic. If he can never mm-hmm. talk to Roku again, or if he never wants to talk to Roku again. Yeah. Both have an impact, but yeah. who knows which one was the intention. Yeah, Absolutely. With his amazing timing, as always, Iroh calls to Aang and tells him that Zuko is awake. It is here that we learn that Zuko was actually up for four days, which is quite the nap there, Zuko. Yeah. Iroh thanks Aang for bringing his nephew back to him and that Zuko should have come on his own much earlier. Even though he is the Fire Lord, he is still a stubborn boy, as Iroh puts it. (laughs) I love Iroh so much. That made me laugh so much because I can just imagine Iroh's like going about his day, taking Mm -hmm. care of his tea shop. Days go by, weeks go by. And he's like, I wonder how Zuko's doing. I wonder when he's going to visit me. I'm always ready for Zuko to come over. I can't wait. And then Zuko, meanwhile, in the Fire Nation is like looking, (laughs) staring at his uncle's portrait, like going, Iroh, I miss you. How I wish you were here. You can be. (laughs) very easy how i wish you were here but i made a promise i won't disturb you oh my god it's and it's like he never actually made that promise to it's like his own promise he made to himself and i was just yeah. like bored i could <laughs> i want me to help i'm i'm wise i could yeah. help oh man i love that dig too where iroh was just like yeah he could have got me at any point and he just chose not to i don't know why he's just a stubborn boy mm-hmm Aang tells Zuko that the Earth King has agreed to talk whenever they're ready. The two acknowledge that Yudao cannot stay a Fire Nation colony, and it is definitely not an Earth Kingdom city anymore. Aang smiles and tells his friend that it has to be something new, and this is why they need to meet with the Earth King. Zuko tells Aang of the dream where he fought the Avatar, and the two discover that this was actually a shared dream. Zuko admits that he felt relief in the dream when he was falling to his death, He then apologizes to Aang for having him make the promise in the first place. Zuko had always struggled with right and wrong, and he thought that the struggle would end once the war ended, but it didn't. When he visited Ozai in prison, he realized that the struggle was only the beginning, and that is why he asked Aang for help that night and asked him to make that promise. Zuko now knows that asking this promise of Aang was putting the burden of choosing right from wrong from Zuko onto Aang. 
and it was unfair. Aang smiles and tells Zuko that he needs to give himself more credit. After all, it was Zuko who was right about Yudao, which is like, yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. Aang asks if Zuko felt relief when he was falling in real life. And Zuko tells Aang that he knew the Avatar wouldn't let him die. Aang tells Zuko that he knows of his lineage and that he is a flawed Avatar because he is unable to detach himself from the bonds he's forged through his life. Instead of fighting this, Aang decides to accept this aspect of himself, which is like amazing. That is Aang-mazing. This is a definition of (laughs) Aang-mazing right there. It is. I'm flawed. I understand I'm flawed. This is how I'm flawed or how people perceive I'm flawed. I've accepted this about myself. This is not a flaw. This is just me. Yeah. I love that. And like, I also had a moment where he's like, I know about your lineage, which basically makes us family. And I accept that. And I want to be there to protect you and to like keep my family safe. Yeah. It's just like so much happens in this like heart to heart scene. And it's like, one of those things where it's the tail end of the book, there's all this action that happened and they're just winding down, but like emotionally, they're still winding up, mm-hmm. which makes it a perfect segue into the next book, which I'm yeah. very excited about. That was really well done. Very smooth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Zuko tells Aang that he's not the only one who is flawed and wonders if the struggle will ever get easier. After a brief pause, Zuko tells Aang that the woman in their shared dream is his mother, Ursa. And Iroh tells the two boys that sometimes dreams are the way a person's spirit reveals the answers to their own problems. But also sometimes they're just the result of eating spicy food before going to bed. (laughs) Zuko believes that finding Ursa might help connect him to his heritage and maybe he will finally find peace. Is it just me or does Zuko like to externalize the solution for himself instead of actually just working on himself? Yeah, he has a tendency (laughs) of doing that. He's doing it again here. So I have a problem. I have to restore my honor. I have to get the avatar for my father. I can't tell the difference between right and wrong. I have to end this war. (laughs) I'm struggling with these concepts. Let's go find my mom. (laughs) Yep. That's what it does. Yeah. It's just kind of funny. That's a a charming character trait, a character flaw. Like, I I really like that. Yeah. And it's, it's not something that is usually portrayed for like, Let's just say like the Zuko archetype, which is the the brooding bad boy who yeah. they usually like figure it out for themselves. And he's just like, no, I need someone to do it for me all the time. But I need someone works. to pat me on the head and tell me I'm doing the right thing. It, it, but it works because of like his past, right? Like he's a spoiled rich kid, essentially. Yeah. So it, yeah. it works. It works out. Zuko admits that he has sent out search parties for his mother which includes June and her Shushu. And they all came back empty-handed. Aang reminds Zuko that this is a new world and he needs to take some new risks. After all, everyone does. Iroh takes a new risk himself and serves the boys this new beverage he invented that have these little like tapioca balls at the bottom. I don't know if you've if this exists in real life. I'm kidding. I know it exists in real life. I know what it is. <laughs> Relax. I didn't have mochi, but I've had this before. Unfortunately, he's a little too ahead of his time as the boys spit the boba tea out immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyone listening, if you've never had bubble tea or boba tea or milk tea, all the same similar thing, please try it. It is a very strange but wonderful experience and it comes in all sorts of flavors. It's it's great. Worth trying. Yes. I've had a couple of different flavors and it always surprises me when I get the tapioca ball. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, that's in here. That's right. <laughs> it's a snack on the bottom. Just there like we go. says. 
Later, Aang holds a meeting with members of both the Yudao and Ba Sing Se chapters of the official Avatar Aang fan club. He explains that he wants them to continue the culture of his people and dubs them the first air acolytes as Katara watches from afar. Okay, this hit me so hard, Mm -hmm. unexpectedly. I got to the last page and I'm like, oh my God, I see what this was doing the whole time. And I had no idea. Because again, like I've watched the first season, two seasons of Korra and I knew about the Air Acolytes, but without this prep work, without seeing the development from Aang being the last avatar to a community of Air Acolytes continuing the philosophies and the culture of the Air Nomads, it felt hollow to me. And I was yeah. like, what? What was this decision? This feels weird. Like, I didn't see this develop. And there are just these people coming out of nowhere who are like, I'm an air acolyte. Like, this was so much more meaningful. And I got, again, teary because I'm like, oh, my God, Aang is actually sharing his culture with people. He's creating this new world. And it all just like has such a hard emotional punch because especially with his time with Roku, Roku keeps giving him this one advice, this one piece of advice, and Aang realizes that he has to figure things out for himself now. And he's embracing the change that he needs to be a part of to usher in this new world. So like, I don't know, it's this mixture of like vulnerability on his part and agreeing to share his past and his culture with people who are not airbenders. And just like, I see all of the roots of Republic City and Cora here. Mm-hmm. And I needed this. I needed this so much. I didn't yeah. realize. Yeah. Wait, when, when did Cora even come out? Was it before this or after this? They were working on Cora. I have a fun fact for our next episode. They Ooh. were working on Cora around the time that these comics were being published. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Because I was wondering if it was like an afterthought or it was like, oh yeah, we did all these things. Maybe we should fill everyone else in on the Air Acolytes, for example. Or... I don't know, some a couple of other things, but if they're working kind of like tangentially almost, that makes sense as well. Doing a quick Google, 2012 is when Cora released. So this, this was, was right 2011. Yeah, right before. Yeah. Oh, so okay. I can see this may not be the case or be true, but I can see since Mike and Brian were so, so involved in the process of writing these books, The Promise and The Search, et cetera, I could see them almost like mentally checkmarking this as being the canon bridge for old avatar into new Korra. Yeah. And I just missed out because I was not up on the times. I wasn't going out and reading the comics back then. So yeah, this, this was so good. Yeah. I don't remember what happened in my life when, or what was going on in my life when Korra came out, but I missed it. And I only heard about it after the first season ended. So I remember like binging it being like, Oh, this is like, this is pretty solid. But, like you missing a lot of things like where do these air acolytes come from? Why is this mm-hmm. all of a sudden more technologically advanced? Like I don't understand any of this stuff. Why is yep. like what was once a very separated world now a lot more unified? Like I missed something. Yes, I did. And that was Udow. three parts of, yeah, it was you doubt. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. Yeah. Yeah. So Aang makes that huge big step and shares his culture and, it's just still just mind blowing to me that he's able to kind of take these old ways and step them aside a little bit and really help his culture continue to exist in this world. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that that scene too, that scene of him teaching the air acolytes underneath the tree is, I think, an allusion to Gautama Buddha attaining enlightenment under the Bodhi tree. 
Yeah. It's just, again, that like real world touch that yep. you don't need to put in there, but you need to put in there. That yeah. kind of deal. Yeah. Like he could have been giving this training in one of the fan club like yeah. bases. But yeah. no, he's outside under a tree. Yeah. And so like visually, symbolically, I think it triggers something in your mind of like, oh, this is important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Did anyone miss Azula? Because if you did, do <laughs> I have a scene for you? Oh, boy. So Zuko summons Azula. And I think he's visiting her at a mental institution. Yep. And his sister is wheeled out in front of him. And she does not look great. Yeah. She's very gaunt. She's got circles. She's got bags on bags under her eyes. Her hair is wild. It's, she actually looks like the Joker. A little bit. A little yeah. bit Joker-ish. That energy. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 So she's wheeled up in a wheelchair and she's in a full length straitjacket. Even though she's clearly not well, she accepts her brother's request of finding their mother, saying that the satisfaction of serving the Fire Lord in some way will be compensation enough. It's very like Azula-ish that like, even though she uh-huh. looks unwell, she still keeps these like digs right at Zuko. Oh my God, I know. And like in the page leading up to that statement, Zuko's like, I know this is risky, but I'm going to tell you the truth. And then mm-hmm. he proceeds to tell her how he feels about his family and how he wants to find his mother. And the whole time I'm reading that, I'm like, no, no, Zuko, danger, danger. She's going <laughs> to use this against you. I know it. Stop. Oh, no. So Azula admits that she's always wondered what exactly happened to their dear mother. And then she turns her head and looks directly at the full length mirror to her left and sees her mother telling her how much she loves her and always will. Chills. The end. Oh, my God. I love, 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 love that the end of the first official arc comic arc ends with Azula just like how book one ended. Oh, that's a great point. Yeah. So that is cool. so good. Nice little touch on there. And that's it. That's that. That's it. That's the promise. Before we wrap up, we have two little questions that we always ask. <laughs> I got to know Acorn. Who is your MVP of this chapter? My MVP has got to be Aang. Really? Yeah. Why? Well, while he got support from his friends, especially Katara, he effectively made the decision that is going to pave the way for everything we come to know in Korra with Republic City and all the advancements, the Air Acolytes. Like it was his decision that this whole arc hinged on. Like mm-hmm. the way, what side he, he took. Like for instance, imagine if he had taken the Fire Nation side or if he had taken the Earth Kingdom side, if he had killed Zuko, like all of those decisions that were being pushed on him, if he had made any of those, the future would have been completely different from how we know it to be. Yeah. So the fact that he took the time to look inside and actually to go against the advice of his former life, like that's big too. And well, go, no, to actually. Fair, to be fair, he's an old hat at that by now. He's done that before. <laughs> Ignoring advice. <laughs> Ignoring advice from his past selves. Yeah. He did that with uh, Ozai. That's true. He did. They were like, like, kill Ozai. And he's like, or I find (laughs) a giant sea turtle, turtle lion, whatever Uh that thing was. Uh And I just take away his bending. How about that? Roku's like, no, kill him. Kill them all. (laughs) 
Do it. Do it. <laughs> Roku, the real secret villain of Avatar The Last Airbender. <laughs> Roku, secretly Palpatine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, but for that reason, I gave it to Aang, but I would love to hear who your MVP is. Mine's Zuko, which is why I was so surprised that yours was Aang. Yeah. Well, now we have both sides. Yes. Yeah. I I found it very telling that Zuko was right all along, but like had this humble quality to him, which we really only saw really in book three that he was like, well, maybe I'm wrong. Like the Avatar Aang, who was right the whole time during the main series when I first met him, he is saying something different. So I must be in the wrong, I think. But something inside of me is telling me that I'm not. And that conflict is just very like, it's almost too much for him to bear. So powerful. Yeah. So the fact that he was able to, just like Aang did at the end of the animated series, stick to his guns, even though it was the unpopular choice, and really just try to do what's right and be right. It's just like, I just really liked Zuko in this. Yeah. Even though externally it looked like he was just being his father. He wasn't. Nope. Yeah. So and that's, that's a really why. great point to make because I think in a lot of ways, Aang and Zuko had to do the same thing, which is make a tough decision against the advice or the example mm-hmm. that others have given. Like, man, okay, the more I think about it, the more I sit here and I think about the promise, I realize how good the writing was. Yeah. Like, wow. There's so many Mm -hmm. layers and levels and conflicts and hinge points that made everything turn like the revelations, the the pressures. So good. Yeah. But I I love Zuko as the MVP. I think uh, I'm really happy with both of them. Both of the boys being MVPs. Same. I'm once again glad that you picked the other because that makes the choice a lot easier for me. (laughs) Yep. What's your moral of the, uh, the issue? What's your moral of this chapter? I feel like there's a lot of great takeaways from not only this issue, but also the other two issues of The Promise. Yeah. I'm curious to hear what yours is, actually. Mine is, I think it's very similar to the end of the main series where there's always that third option. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that third option is compromise. And compromise, I think, can be viewed in a negative light, but I don't necessarily think that. I think that it can be a great way to blend two forces into one Mm. and respect each other's differences and embrace the similarities. Like I think, and that's what's happening in in Yudao. That's what happened over a hundred years while the hundred year war was going on. While colonialization is not great, don't get me wrong. Once these cultures got blended together, while one was, you know, a bit superior in terms of wealth and all of that than the other, they're still married together and you can't just rip that apart. So the whole, I think you're right. The whole arc is the promise part one, two, and three is all about like, what do you do when the peanut butter gets mixed with the jelly to put it very lightly? Yeah. Yeah. You make a new kind of sandwich. <laughs> right. What do you do when the chocolate gets mixed with the peanut butter? You get yeah. a peanut butter cup. That's yeah. yeah. Yep. There we go. Yeah. That's more where I was leaning, but I feel like we've also had this kind of moral before where. Yeah. Change is inevitable. Yeah. And it's something that you'll need to adapt to. But I think that's also the nice thing about Avatar is it has such a consistent theme through through all of it. Its big themes are change, diversity, growth, inner inner strength, growth, like all the good stuff. Yeah. I, I also really like that. 
Aang had some character growth in this book. Aang doesn't grow a lot as a character in the main series. In my opinion, mm-hmm. he does grow. Don't get me wrong, but it's not as dramatic as Zuko, for example. Yeah. Or even Azula, right? Like her character arc is pretty crazy. Or Katara. Or Katara. Or Toph. Or Toph. Like anyone. <laughs> like, like Aang yeah. grew quite a bit, but you see him still struggling with a lot of the same struggles as he did at the end of book three in this. Mm-hmm. And when he destroyed the, let's just call it a relic that he used to channel Roku, even though this is retconning in my opinion, it was very powerful. And mm-hmm. it shows that like he outgrew that mentor. Yeah. And it was That's, very talk powerful about growth. for me. Yeah. Like, yeah, wow. Oh man. Think back to book two, Earth. He and Roku got together so many times through that yeah. book to talk about the past, for Roku to give him advice, for Aang They're to figure things friends. out. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. It was just very like, it's very powerful for me to seeing him do that. And man, I just wish they had one panel just poking light at why he's using those. And that yeah. would have made that moment all much more sweeter, I think. <laughs> yeah. But anyways. Still a great book. Yes. Yes. Man. Still nitpicking aside, which is we're just going to be nitpicking sometimes. And that's just going to happen. This is 69 episodes into our po- little podcast here. If you didn't know we nitpicked before. I bet you do now. <laughs> Newsflash. Newsflash. It <laughs> we happens have opinions. Sometimes. We have opinions. <laughs> but ultimately, I'm glad this exists. I think this is mm-hmm. wonderful. I'm glad that we're doing this podcast together because I don't know if I would have read this on my own. Just Same. being honest. I yeah. love the animated series, but sometimes for me, the comic adaptations or the sequels afterwards are hit or miss. This one was mm-hmm. a hit. And yep. I already read The Search Part 1, and I can confirm mm. that's also a huge hit. And I got ah. thoughts you'll have to wait for next time for. Uh, but until then, if you are caught up on all the episodes and you've gone to patreon.com slash Avatar the Podcast, and you've listened to all the secret podcasts, and you've voted, and you've done literally everything there is to do for Avatar the Podcast, you've gone to the YouTube, youtube.com slash Avatar the Podcast. By the way, thank you so much for 500 followers, subscribers, whatever you're called. Oh my God, subscribers. Yes. We hit that the other day. That's awesome. Thank you so, so much. And thank you for leaving the five-star written reviews on Apple Podcasts, as well as leaving the five-star rating on Spotify. Join me, twitch.tv slash Greg, Monday and Friday evenings, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm finishing up Darksiders and It Takes Two, which are both fantastic games. So what are we playing next? I don't know. Come on down. Find out. Something good. Something good. And you can find me online at Acorn Bandit or on joysons.com, which you can also find on Etsy if you search Joyson Studios. That is J-O-I-S-A-N-S. And you can find some uh, nerdy enamel pins there. Yeah. Coming up next time. The Search Part 1. Yes. And until then, we'll see you next time on Avatar, Avatar the, the Podcast. Podcast. Avatar, the podcast, is a proud part of the Geek Generation Network. Remember to check out all of our podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com. 